Okay, can you hear me? Is this thing on? I hope you can. I found this old recorder in the basement a while back, and I mean, there's no power, so I haven't been able to charge my phone in a few days. I mean, <laughs> whatever happened on Halloween, you know, they turned off the power then. That was almost a month ago. It's gotten bad out here. I need, need someone to talk to. I need to tell the story of what happened, and I need someone to listen, even if it's, you know, no one else but you, recorder. <sighs> so here goes. I guess we'll start at the beginning of the end, but really not the beginning of the story. We'll start on Halloween night, when the first outbreak happened. It was like any other normal Halloween. I mean, as normal as you can get around here nowadays. I was just helping pass out candy, and there were so many kids out this year. Just like, you know, we thought the first wave was over and that we had a second wave of the outbreak under control. Nobody would have ever guessed that the second wave would affect children so badly, and there's no way we would have known to the extent that this would happen. Well, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. The first trick-or-treater showed up Halloween night around 5 o'clock in the evening. Nothing was out of the ordinary. You know, just a cute little kid in a pirate costume. He was maybe like seven or eight years old with his parents standing on the sidewalk. He was waiting for him to get his candy and then to come back to them, safe and sound. And then, I don't know, the last round we had was around 10 or 11 that night. I figured they were a group of teenagers, and I would just dump the rest of candy into their bags, and I would be done for the night. Well, I opened the door to some little kids, but they weren't teenagers. 12, maybe 13. They were dressed up like superheroes, I don't know which ones, and their parents weren't with them. They looked bad, though, and, you know, this disease, whatever it is, it's spread by bugs, you know, like sugarcane beetles, and you know what sugar beetles like to eat? They like to eat sugar, of course. So, you know, there was no way to tell which sugarcane was affected and which ones weren't, and, you know, the first wave of the illness came a year ago when it was making people sick and I mean, we all know the symptoms now. Fever, a rash on your face, around your cheeks especially, and a sore throat. You know, the sore throat is actually a swollen throat, and it gets so swollen that you can't even breathe. I'm sure you know. I don't know why I'm retelling you this, but maybe one day someone will forget, and they'll only have this to remember it by. But anyway, the U.S. stopped selling anything that produced sugarcane for a long time. We relied on sugar substitutes, you know. But of course, the major candy companies took a hard hit. And, you know, stock fell. People who had invested in those companies lost a lot of money. The U.S. was in a crisis mode for a while with that economic downturn. There were unexpected changes in healthcare, too. Even without sugar for only a year or two, the average American citizen was experiencing less health complications. And the pharmaceutical companies started to take a dive, too, now that they couldn't profit off of people being sick. That was really when the U.S. decided that we needed to do something. So that was when they stopped reporting any numbers about the illness. I know, I know. Isn't that crazy? Anyway, I'm sure if you try and find any numbers, you won't be able to. I'm sure if you even look up this sickness, you won't be able to find anything in the future. The only way that people know about it now is through word of mouth. Anyway, there were no reports on the television or the radio. Anything about the disease was officially being banned from being talked about. But, you know, we all still saw it. The people on the ground, we were the ones affected by it. We were the ones that were accidentally getting stuff poisoned, that we were accidentally eating poison candy. But anyway, 
None of the doctors were going to diagnose the cause of death as the sugar bug. That's what we just called it around here, you know, the layman terms. So they would say that the person you know died from pneumonia or pleurisy or whatever else closes up your throat. But we knew. We knew. Doctors, nurses, healthcare workers, they all talked. They all talked around town and we knew what was going on. But that was a year or two ago. The cases had been dwindling. And I mean, like, in, as far as we knew in the U.S., especially in Utah, we consume almost twice the amount of candy as any other state in the U.S. And even with our outrageous candy consumption, we were starting to see less cases. Well, I mean, until that Halloween night. Sorry. Sorry I got off track. I don't know. Sorry to whoever is going to listen to this later, I guess. But anyways, yeah, you know. So those two kids showed up at our door. Their faces were red and splotchy, and their eyes were bloodshot, and they were gasping for air. And those poor boys, once that rash hits your face and your throat starts to close up, there's nothing you can do really to stop it. I brought them inside and tried to make their last moments comfortable, but I don't know where their parents were. They didn't have any sort of ID on them. They were wearing masks, and I couldn't get it off of their face, so I couldn't tell who they were. So I called 911. But by the time the ambulance got there, they were gone. And the EMTs looked at me as they wheeled the boys away and told me not to talk about anything until someone came to ask me questions. And I felt so awful. You know, I realized then that I'd been giving out to candy to all these kids. And I thought, well, was my candy contaminated? No, I don't think it was. I remember now. I remember specifically going to the store and buying candy that was sugar-free and that didn't have anything in it that could hurt these kids. I flish, I remember going through the trash can and giving it to the detectives that had come by. But you know, I thought about it and I realized that didn't mean that somebody else wasn't poisoning the kids around here. It was really soon after that that a detective came to talk to me and they were from the state. They asked questions about the kids, about kind of candy I'd been passing out. So I let them take the rest of the candy in my bowl anyway, and I don't think I'm ever going to look at another candy bar again for as long as I live. I mean, there was nothing really else to talk about, and they didn't say anything, but I thought to myself, what if somebody had did it on purpose? That was how it started, you know? The suspicion. Everyone thought the same thing I did. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't think that someone was out there poisoning our kids on purpose? And that was how the turning on each other started. News travels fast. And even if I hadn't told anybody about those kids that showed up at my door and what had happened, everyone saw the ambulance. Everyone could see the lights. And they saw the kids being wheeled out on the stretcher. And they could put two and two together. You know, no kids just randomly keel over on Halloween night from nothing. They knew it had to be something like this. And you know, at first it was just that. No one would really talk to each other cordially. All we would do was gossip. Even with the silent treatment that everyone was giving each other, I would receive calls. I mean, back when we could receive calls, when we could charge our phones and connect to one another at least. You know, people around here would turn on their best friends so quickly, and they always let the neighborhood know that they thought, you know, so-and-so was the one behind the attacks, and they listed off all their dirty laundry that they had. Everybody's dirty laundry was aired out during this. No one had any secrets. Anything you thought was safe that you had told to a friend was already out in the open for everyone to know. And you know, nobody sent their kids to play anymore. Not even out in the park that we had all loved so much. 
Even though this disease couldn't be spread by contact, no one wanted their kid to accidentally eat something with sugar in it. So everyone stayed inside their homes for, what, like three weeks after Halloween? Pressure was building, and there was going to be an explosion soon, and nobody knew what was going to happen, but it was going to happen eventually. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry to keep going on like this. It's been a while since I've had someone to talk to about this, and I'm sorry you're not even hearing a recorder. I'm just talking at you. But anyways, if you search up the city of Hillwood in Utah, you'll see the events and what happened next, obviously. Marjorie Smith, she was the mother of the boys who had died. I later found out their names. I had seen them play in the yard before, I just never bothered to learn them. They were Eli and McKay. They were out trick-or-treating by themselves for the first time. She told me that one of the neighbors who called to gossip with me, that she always used to make the boys wait until they got home so they could, you know, she could check the candy wrappers and make sure none of them were any real sugar candies. (laughs) She had decided that we were old enough Sorry, I had to stop for a minute. She had decided that they were old enough to go trick-or-treating for the first time on their own. You know, unfortunately this time they got hungry during their trick-or-treating. And they wanted to have some candy, I guess. You know, little kids, they don't stop to check anything, so they didn't check the wrappers. Anyway, you know, Marjorie was the first one to break out of the self-imposed house arrests. She came outside. She was thin, almost gaunt. She stood in the street. A few of us went outside. We wrapped ourselves against the cold because it was so cold that November. While Marjorie stood in her nightgown, we all called to her to go inside and to get warm and to not get sick with a cold. A few of the neighbors who were closer with her than I was, you know, before everything happened, they came down to try and give her a hug and maybe to try and get her to go back inside, but she swatted them back with her hands and looked at her house, and she kept shaking her head. Eventually, Bill came out, and he looked almost as bad as she did, thin, with dark bags under their eyes. They used to be the envy of the neighborhood. They had nice cars, a nice house, nice kids, and they were the cutest little, most perfect couple, and they would always host parties, and Marge would make the best iced tea you had ever had. It was so sweet. She used to use real sugar before everything started, but afterwards it just never tasted the same without artificial stuff. But anyway, to see them like this was quite a shock. Bill came down the steps and rubbed his hands over his face, and he kept trying to get Marjorie inside, but she was firm on the ground. I still remember her screaming. As soon as she touched her arm, she started to wail. She screamed, you did it. She screamed at him, you killed our children. And she smacked his arm as he tried to drag her inside the house. I had never seen them be violent before, but the way he was dragging her away, it looked like he wanted to break her arm off. You killed our kids, she screamed again and slapped his face. And finally he stopped dragging her. And by now the whole neighborhood was outside. We were all in our pajamas, bundled in coats, trying to keep warm. It was so quiet. All you could hear was the sound of the wind. Bill looked at us with shifty eyes. He was pale and shaking against the wind and looked up like he might pass out at any time. There's no way you mean that, Marge, he said, trying to console her. You know, all the usual. Come on inside. Let's go inside and make some hot chocolate and warm you up. Why would he want to... Why would I want to kill my own kids, he said. And then he paused. And I remember him pausing, looking for something more believable. 
our kids, he repeated. And finally, one of the neighbors who had been surrounding Marge stepped forward. What is she talking about? She had asked, putting her hands on Marjorie's shoulder and pulling her away from Bill. And suddenly, the energy had shifted. Bill stepped back onto this porch, and almost like he was trying to get away from us, he raised up his hands. And he said, I don't know what she's talking about. She's crazy with grief. And suddenly, the neighborhood had seemed to like lean forward into him, and it looked like we were gathering around Bill. I don't know. I looked to my right. My neighbor Tim had picked up one of the bats that his kid has left on the front porch. To my left, my other neighbor had picked up a shovel from his porch and stepped forward. And all around us, people started picking up different kinds of things to use as weapons. I I ran back inside. I I knew it couldn't stop it. I didn't see what happened afterwards, but I heard yelling and I heard clattering and screaming. And I called 911, but by the time they showed up, it was a full-on riot. There was no stopping it with the singular police vehicle. I had drawn my blind shut and... You know, I shut myself in my bedroom. The sounds continued, and through my blinds, I saw the red and blue flashing lights, but I smelled smoke and saw an orange glow outside my window. I can only assume that the neighbors that I once trusted were setting fire to the neighborhood, but I don't know. I don't know. I laid down, and I closed my eyes, and I waited for it to be over. Shoot. Getting low on battery. I need to find some new ones, and I'll be back, and I'll finish telling you the story. Sorry, I'm sorry. I had to find some batteries around here. They shut off our TV last night, so I took the batteries out of the remote. Where was I? I don't know, it's been a few days. Oh, that's right about the riots, the riots. Anyways, the riots lasted all night with fires and gunshots. I don't know if they were the police or the neighbors. In the morning it was quiet, but it smelled like smoke. And I was very glad that my house was unscathed from all the chaos. I don't know what I did. But anyway, I looked outside to find that the police had roped off our neighborhood. I guess it was the police. I mean, I don't know who else would do that. I don't know who would want to trap us in here besides them. And, you know, I had chosen to live in this neighborhood originally because it was so far away from the city, from any other town. And we were a close-knit community because there was no one else for miles around us. But I guess that was a mistake looking back. There were police in front of the neighborhood. There's an ambulance at the end of the street as well. I put some clothes on instead of my pajamas. I didn't want the neighbors to see me in them. And I wrapped a heavy jacket around my shoulders before going outside. We all wanted answers. There were a lot of us in the front yards. There were officers with bullhorns telling us to get back inside and to lock the doors. But I don't think any of us listened. We all wanted answers, and nobody was giving them to us. We're still not getting answers. I looked around and wondered exactly what the people that I had grown up with had done, and who I could trust now. The shouting suddenly stopped when the door of the Smith's house slammed, and we all turned to the door and watched as a body was carried out on a stretcher. I felt ill, and suddenly I saw the dark stain on the street in front of his house. Marjorie came outside, looking like a ghost, pale and shivering in her nightgown. The officer started to remind us all to go back inside again, but I had already turned and slammed the door behind me and went back inside. They had killed Bill. They went crazy and killed him. You know, I later found out that from an officer who was coming to take statements that Bill hadn't actually died from any injuries he got, but he had a heart attack. The damage done to him by the neighbors was pretty superficial. You know, a whack with a shovel on the arm or a scratch on the face from his wife. Nothing that couldn't heal or 
be taken care of, but, you know, on top of that, there was no evidence that Bill had poisoned any candy in his house, and, like, there was no reason he would want to kill them. There was no life insurance money. There wasn't any gain that he would have had by killing off his kids. But, you know, it didn't matter to us, I guess. It didn't matter. They just wanted revenge, and they were going to take it however they wanted. Not just revenge for the kids, but revenge for the scare, for keeping them in their house for weeks on end, terrified of each other. <sighs> but anyway, that leads me to my current situation. I've been locked down in my home for over a week now, ever since they killed Bill, and I can't trust anybody. The cops said they would be back with some food and some groceries for us. But there's nothing here. My supply in my fridge is dwindling. I'm living off of crumbs. They patrol the neighborhood now 24-7. There's a car that's always outside patrolling the neighborhood. I don't know who it belongs to. I don't know who's inside, but it circles the streets all night long. The windows are too tinted for me to see out, but I don't know who it is. And I don't care. I don't trust them. They don't trust us. They cut our phone lines and power a few days ago. I don't know who did it, if it was the police or if it was one of us. We haven't had any reception since the night it happened, and there's no one we can call. Nobody knows we're being held captive here, and no one would even believe us. I don't even believe it myself. How did we end up here? There's no way the media will report this. No way. Even if they did, they would have to mention that the boys that died, that started this whole thing, died from eating sugar. They can't do that. They can't send the U.S. into an economic crisis again. We're just recovering from the last one. We're all left to our own devices, and it won't, you know, it won't be long before we start coming after one of another for food, for water, for anything. <laughs> so the only option I have is to try and hike up the hill and detect it and find a city that will help us. I've started packing already. I had to draw the blinds. You know, I've been hiding for a while. I don't want anyone to know what I'm doing. I'm going to take you with me, though, just so I'll have someone to talk to. And maybe, maybe somebody will hear my story and believe me. Okay, we're off. Sorry for worrying you guys. I just left. I'm walking through the back of the neighborhood. It's dark now. I should be fine. I don't know what my neighbors have done, but I know that we don't deserve to be herded like animals in a cage like we are right now. I need to find someone to help us. Anybody? I don't know. It should only take me like an hour. I don't know, an hour at the most to find somebody. I don't know how long it's, I don't know how it's going to go. I don't know why anybody should believe me. And I guess that's why I started recording, you know, so that somebody could hear our story no matter how unbelievable it is. I, I think I'm behind the Smith's house now. I see Marjorie in her yard. Wait, wait, what's going on? Oh, Marge, no, what are you doing? Oh my god, oh my god, she saw me. Oh my god. No, Marjorie, no. Okay, okay, I think I'm far enough away. I don't think she saw me. I don't, I don't, I don't even know what I saw. I, I saw her digging up something. It, God, it looked like, you know, a sugar cane. Like, there's no way that it could have been that. I mean, sugar cane only grows in tropical climates, and we're, and we're not a tropical climate at all. I mean, I mean, God, 
I've heard stories of people buying sugarcane on the black market, but those are the people who don't believe in it, you know? They're crazy. They don't believe in the sickness. They, they just think that everything is a lie made up by the government. And I don't, I, I don't know what she wanted, what she wanted with the sugarcane. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, oh man. Oh, I think I'm lost. Oh, I just ran. I didn't even think about where I was going. I, I didn't even know. I, oh, I can't even see the neighborhood anymore. Okay. Okay, I don't know. Let me get my bearings. Let me get my bearings. I'll talk with you again. I'll check in. I, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, I'm back. I'm back. I got my bearings, and I think I'm going the right way. I mean, I'll eventually have to find somebody. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to tell them. I don't know what I saw or what Marjorie was doing when she was digging up sugarcane that she bought on the darknet. Does that, does that mean that she could have been the one to poison her kids? I mean, I guess it could make sense. There was talk around the neighborhood that she was in a lot of trouble financially and that she would spend her weekends out gambling and, you know, that Bill would try to hide it by buying all the newest things, the new cars, the new toys for the kids and making sure they always looked nice. I don't know why she wanted to get rid of her kids, though. Why didn't she... Did she take out insurance on them? On Bill, maybe? <gasps> oh, God. Oh, no, what if the candy was meant for Bill? What if she thought Bill would be the one eating candy and not the kids? Oh, Marge, no, no. Oh, 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 I think I see something. I think I see a town, maybe? Oh, oh, it is a town. Oh, oh, we're saved. Oh, it's a town, we're saved. Just for the record, this conversation will be taped. Do you understand? Yes, please feel free to. I want everyone to know what happened. All right, then let's start with the riots that happened after Halloween. The Utah PD is aware of what happened then, with Mr. Smith being killed in the events. However, I'm so confused on what you mean by saying that the police kept you in your homes. There was no squad that was sent out there afterwards. We took Mr. Smith out and his death was determined to be a heart attack. There weren't any arrests made that night either. I don't know what to say. All I know is that there were squad cars constantly patrolling our neighborhood. We weren't allowed to leave the house. They promised us groceries, but they never came. I realized that we would start turning on each other soon, and that's why I left that night. I knew that I needed someone to help us. I know, I know. When we got to the neighborhood, there was hardly any food in any of the houses for you guys. You all looked so hungry and scared. We didn't see any squad cars there, though. Whoever it was must have left after they heard the sirens. How was Marjorie? She was the one who lost her kids and her husband. Is she okay? What do you know about the Smith family? Well, her kids came to my house the night they died. I, I know enough about the sickness. I know she was there. To, there was no way to help. And did you, did you check out her backyard? Backyard? No. Why? I saw... Well, I don't know what I saw. I thought I saw her digging up something in her backyard. I mean, it was really dark, but I, you know, I could have sworn I thought it was a sugar cane, you know, like, you can get those off the dark net. You know, I really shouldn't be telling you this, but yeah, we had suspicions that Mrs. Smith was the one who killed her kids on accident. 
We suspect she meant to kill her husband instead for his life insurance policy, but we just don't know. Did she ever host parties before? Parties? Yeah, I guess. She used to have some get-togethers a lot, but... I, I mean, I go sometimes, and she always made the best sweet tea. And she always had amazing desserts. Wow, I bet that was great. Yeah, I mean, before everything happened, you know, she had the best sweet tea, and then, you know, she had to buy all the artificial stuff, and it just never tasted the same. She invited a lot of us over for a Halloween party, but no one really showed up for some reason. Did you ever get sick before or after attending one of the parties? Was she planning on serving food there, too? Sick? No, I never got sick after any of her parties. Why? I imagine that she was going to serve food. I mean, she always had refreshments at her parties. Why? I'm not saying or implying anything, but off the record, I think it's for the best that nobody went to her party that night. Well, what happened to Marjorie? Is she okay? You never answered my question. Well, Marjorie's dead. We found her in her house. She had candy wrappers all around her, and it was too late by the time we got there. She already succumbed to the illness. Oh, Marge. Oh, no. I'm glad you found us when you did. I'm still not sure who was the officer that was keeping you guys in your homes, but they won't be bothering you anymore. Hopefully you guys can return to normal. Oh, so you guys are going to turn on our power and... We'll have cell phone service again? Your power was never supposed to be turned off, and there's no way we could have taken away your cell service. Officer, I swear I'm not crazy. I mean, if I could have used my phone to call someone, I would have earlier than this. I believe you. I just don't know how this could have happened. I'm sorry, there's no explanation for it. Okay, I understand, officers. Is there anything else I can do for you? You know, you aren't allowed to discuss this case with anyone, right? I mean, we are, you're just getting over the horrors that this sickness has been causing the nation. We can't have word getting out what happened. You do understand that, right? Sure, officer. I understand. Thanks so much for everything. So there you heard it, folks. I'm not allowed to discuss anything with you guys about this case. I can't go to the media about anything. There's no answers for who is the monster keeping us trapped in our own homes. Who turned off our power? Who turned off our cell phones? I mean, I, they could do it again any minute. I have no answers for why Marjorie did what she did. And I haven't even seen some of my neighbors since they've come back. They've all put their houses up for sale and... You know, all of the homes are empty. No one wants to buy a house in this sort of economy, especially not in Hillwood, not after what happened. So I'm, I'm alone now. Well, not alone alone. I mean, I have you, right? <laughs> so I guess you're the only one that's ever going to know what happened to us. What happened to me? If you listen to this, will you try and tell my story? Please?
guys. Thanks for listening to my podcast. So this was for my Halloween class and for my integrated studies program. Um, I derived some inspiration from this podcast and for the story based on the real-life true crime case of Ronald Clark O'Brien, who poisoned his eight-year-old son on Halloween night in 1974 with a potassium cyanide-laced pixie stick. And he passed out a few of these sticks and ended up killing his own son, so that way he would get his son's life insurance to ease some of his financial troubles. Um, he was sentenced to death for this crime, and he was executed by lethal injection in March of 1984. So obviously this was a very horrifying true crime case, and of course now everyone has heard the stories of, you know, um, candy being poisoned, or apples having razor blades in them, and parents are scared to send their kids out trick-or-treating because of these almost urban legends that kind of derive from this man of, you know killing his kids with pixie sticks, but, um, I also kind of wanted to, you know, take that real-life fear of someone hurting your children and harming them uh, with such a harmless thing like candy and make it into a very real story about fear, isolation, and, you know, um, that sort of paranoia that you get from those around you, um, Because everyone feels that paranoia on Halloween night, you know? No matter where it comes from, if it came from their old stories of the boogeyman, if it came from the fear of their children's candy being poisoned, everyone just has a little bit of fear and paranoia on Halloween night towards people that they thought were their neighbors or even strangers. So I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast and I hope that the story resonates with you and sticks with you in one way or another.